What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. My name is Moore Milo. And I'm Ross Inarelli. And this is the 52 Podcast, 52 books, 52 weeks, making every week count. This week in COVID quarantine, we have brought to you a book by the name of Hooked, How to Create Habit-Forming Products by a gentleman by the name of Nir Eyal. Uh, Solid book. We'll talk about it in a second. Before we do that, Ross, hit us up with some news. Yeah, you know, we've been talking a lot the last few days about, you know, how this COVID-19 is going to be affecting a lot of different industries. And one that I think is kind of interesting to look at is fitness. You know, we're seeing right now a, a spike in bicycle sales. People are, you can't, you go to Walmart, you can't find a single bike on the rack. You have a lot of gyms that are still closed or offering online classes. You have personal trainers online that have their courses that they're selling. And then now you have influencers that are coming in and doing their personal workouts. So you're getting a lot of new activities and different plans coming in all at once. And the problem is a lot of them are cannibalizing each other. I mean, people looking for alternative workout methods are really affecting these gyms. And we're wondering, you know, when gyms are really going to open up and, and will they have the same impact that they currently had? And then also you're seeing a big issue with these influencers making these short little workout programs or doing live streams they're affecting the personal trainer market so people who make their money as personal trainers are now struggling because you know this kid who's been who normally had a personal trainer before covid is now taking it upon themselves to make their own ab workout routines or whatever and posting them online so you're getting a lot of different sections of this segment really cannibalizing itself so it's going to be very interesting to watch going forward, you know, how this affects other industries, but in this specific example, how it affects the fitness market. You know, we're going to see a lot more sales of stationary bikes, of, you know, outdoor bikes, mountain bikes, a lot of alternative methods of working out. People are building home gyms in their garage now, which we haven't seen in decades. I mean, you're really seeing a whole different boom in people looking not only for different workout routines, but different workout environments. You know, a lot of people... The last few years have been doing, instead of yoga in a studio, have been doing yoga on the beach. You know, so as these things keep maneuvering, you're seeing not only a, a change in place, but you're seeing a lot of these go to a virtual aspect where a lot of them are just completely streaming. You can do all these workouts from home instead of where, you know, a decade ago you were buying DVDs and buying these big sets for workouts. Now you're getting personalized, you know, personal training essentially, and you're just Venmoing the instructor and jumping on one of their live streams. So very, very interesting. But I don't know. Like I said, I just I just bought a bike over the last week. It took me forever to find one. They're all sold out. But, you know, I'm in the same boat. I don't really feel like going back to the gym, even though I kind of miss weightlifting. You know, now I'm looking more into different cardio and different workouts. So it's going to be interesting to go forward to see how this, this market kind of readjusts post-COVID. What do you think? Tom? I would totally agree with you in that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I've heard from a lot of different people that are in the fitness community, um, what they're doing and how they're shifting into COVID and creating online resources and, um, you know, kind of digital ways of, of, of working with clients. It's really impressive. Um, and I've actually heard a lot of clients say that they probably wouldn't go back either, Ross. So you're right on par with the, the rest of the market and who um, is, you know, paying for these services. And I have been doing a lot of the same, you know, really just kind of keeping my exercise within, you know, my house, within my neighborhood. Um, and it's been great. It's been really great. I think, it, I think it's really going to revolutionize a lot of industries. 
because it's really shown us that we can get really creative on how we do things. Uh, you know, I've been part of a lot of digital workshops where we, we would normally only do them in person, but we were doing them digitally and they're just as, uh, as effective and really, really great. You know, ways businesses are, uh, are taking deliveries or, or more correctly, um, delivering food. Um, you know, businesses that had never done delivery services or, you know, had a delivery service in-house or had curbside takeout. They're all evolving into new, new things and advertising in digital ways. So I think it's really cool um, to watch how our economy is evolving through COVID, through this pandemic, through understanding that things are going to be different for the rest of our lives. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just really going to be interesting. Any, any other thoughts on, on kind of where industries are going, Ross? I mean, I just think about, you know, how we've had different shifts, you know, from the dot-com boom and stuff where things have slowly become more, I guess you would say virtual where you're, you're not going out as much, you're doing as many things, but we still kind of hung on to a lot of these personalized activities. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how our actual, you know, our psyche evolves and and how people start to approach different group activities because people are going to start to become more comfortable with virtual meetups or a lot of things that before you would think no one's going to want to do. I think it's going to be a lot easier. Same way that they didn't think people would watch football from home because watching it in a stadium is so much better. But now with 4K TVs and surround sound systems and you can, you know, make your own food at home within 10 minutes, you don't have to drive anywhere that has been booming over the last few decades. So more and more things you're getting comfortable to do in your own home. And I think that trend is actually, you know, not only going to continue, but I think it got a large push towards that kind of virtualized feel because of this COVID. I think it shows us what the tech we have, what it is capable of. Whether or not that's a good thing is up for discussion, but just interesting to see that push go all the way more towards the kind of quicker, more virtual um, less kind of sit down, take your time in a way. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's kind of just jump right into it. Uh, cause I think you guys are all experiencing the same thing in that regards and we could talk on it forever, but you know, that wouldn't be super valuable. Let's go ahead and jump right into, uh, the book for the week, which is called hooked how to build habit forming products by near Eyal. Um, and it has very much to do with technology and, and, and what, uh, what we're up to in the world. And, you know, how things are changing and evolving. Uh, he had some incredible uh, arguments on how, you know, companies like Facebook were able to really generate some incredible feedback from their users um, to a point where, where they were having people come back on a daily basis and, and generating massive, massive, massive critical mass with their product. Uh, so, and that concept of critical mass, for those of you that guys aren't really familiar with it, is when you hit a certain point, uh, a certain number of people, things just start to multiply. And what he was mentioning is that if, you know, for example, you had, I, th I think the example was uh, one new person or, or one person referred five friends per day or something like that, you could reach somewhere in the range of a couple million people in a month on a day-by-day, day day, you know, regeneration of new followers, new people, new, um, you know, new, new people to market to and bring into the, to the community. So I think it was just a really valuable book on understanding um, kind of how human psychology works and how some of these companies have been able to take advantage of um, of human psychology and what uh, how it operates. Really, uh, I mean, on a on a more kind of ten thousand foot level, what do you what do you think, Ross? What did you like? What do you think of the book? 
I, I really liked it as well. You know, it's something, you know, we've built products in the past and we've built companies around, you know, kind of getting new users to a product. And one thing that we've noticed and we've, we've also learned from books in the past is that the most important KPI a lot of the time, especially when you're advertising, is shares. Likes are great, comments are great, but shares are the one that's really going to give you a good determining factor of how successful your product is. Because like you said earlier, if you have one person on there and they're sharing it with five of their friends, if all five of those friends each show five, it's exponential growth because you're getting free marketing. And not only that, you're getting warm marketing because now somebody else is not only saying, hey, look at this, but they're pretty much telling you, get on here because I have it as well. And you see this in so many markets. I mean, even down to, um, you know, when you used to have instant messenger, you would have one friend that if they're on a certain platform, you bring other people for video games. If all your friends have an Xbox, you're going to make sure the whole group has the same product. So we have the new Xbox and PlayStation coming out end of the year. You know, a lot of these decisions are actually going to be group decisions because we all want to make sure that we're using the same thing. And that really drives a lot of growth. So for me, this book hit a lot of really good spots because it lets you, like you said, understand human psyche and understand what we're looking for. Like my question to you would more would be, I don't know about you, but I they talked in the book about um, email and how we check our email now. And it's almost like a game. And you think about when you wake up, you're checking your email first and going through it, even though a lot of it is spam. I don't think years ago I was waking up checking my email. I think now it's just become the same thing. Like you wake up, you check some of your apps for any updates or notifications. I think email has just fallen into one of those categories. And like they said in the the book, it does feel almost like a game where you're addicted to seeing new things come in and, and, you know, deleting, saving, whatever you want to do. People like seeing those new notifications and a reason to click into a certain app, in this case, the mail app. Were you always checking email consistently like that? Do you think it's a product of age or do you think it's a product of just this habit that is formed because now we can get our email and other sources of information so much easier? There's no logging onto a computer and typing in a web address to see it. You just click one simple button. Totally habit forming. Uh, I think that the concept of email, if you really think about it and you kind of break it down, the beauty in email is that it's 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 a wonderful tool for business. And for me, that's why I constantly am checking my emails because there's always opportunities in email, right? Like usually when you're reaching out to people via email, it's about business. So when you're checking your emails, you're waiting for someone to reach back out to you about business. So I think that that habit and that, that context that was created around email from the very beginning for me had me going back to check it constantly. If anything, that was actually probably one of my first apps that I would consistently go to was my email, even from a very, very young age, because um, there was always new things popping in, this concept of like people are trying to reach out to you, and there's, you know, maybe money in the inbox, or there's, you know, connection in the inbox, or there's, you know, something available there for you. Um, so totally habit forming, and I think that that's also something that we see with um, a lot of different technology companies like Facebook, and another great example that was brought up was, was Blogger, blogger.com, um, and uh, they were talking about how with Blogger, you weren't getting paid to, to post um, blog posts, yet they were doing better in getting people to come back to their software than the other companies where bloggers were getting paid based on how many views they were getting. And what they discovered is that the social equity built 
by being within that community and, and having your information pushed up the scale based on true value to the end reader was more important um, you know, than the money that was coming out of it. So I think it's, it's all about the context that's built. You know, I think, I think it really has a lot to do with the context that you're building around the product that you have um, and having you know, certain variables within that product that create habit um, so that people continue to come back to them. Right, like for example, Facebook, right, is a it's a community. It's where people can feel free to share and and consume, you know, all the ideas and thoughts of themselves and, and others. Uh, and the context of that community is based around shareability. So when you share something, there's the most value to that content. Right? Same kind of concept around bloggers, same kind of concept around a lot of these businesses that are generating you know, massive, massive revenue from the habits that they're creating. They're, they're focusing on a niche of, of human psyche and really going after it. Um, you know, whether it's uh, a monetary gain or a social equity gain or a connection gain, uh, but they're, they're drilling home on one particular thing that is generating a lot of response. And they're just, they're, they're, you know, they're really finding it and they're going after it. I mean, that's, that's really what, what I got out of the whole thing. Um, you know, really just trying to understand the human psyche and, and creating opportunities that have um, high levels of, of, of repetitive action and, and, uh, and things that we get, like, addicted to. You know, like, having social viability is an addictive feeling. You always want social viability. Yeah, I think the other thing that I took from it was, you know, we always talk about getting people to re-engage because... You know, over, you know, 25% of people that download your app will use it once and uninstall it. I mean, it'll be gone forever from their phone. They're never going to revisit it. So thinking of ways not only to get them to keep it, but also to get them to come back. And they talked a lot about push notifications, which you're seeing more and more. And the problem is a lot of these will get overused. But like an example, so like I said, I told you I was looking for a bike. I went on offer up for a little bit. And it knows what you're searching for. It'll save your search. So it made it easier the next few days because it would tell me, all right, 48 new bikes have been uploaded. I can click it and easily see. And it gets you to go not only back into the app, but it's another reason to keep you coming back day after day after day. And the more that comes, you're filming or you're, you're creating that habit that they're talking about where you feel like you want to check in. And now maybe I'm going to go on and look for something that's not a bike, you know, looking for other stuff because I'm more comfortable and I feel better about the platform just because I've been frequently using it. So a lot of things to see on that point. Also, the, the sound, the sound on OfferUp is a, almost like a money sound. It's like a cha-ching, you know, so that sound alone kind of gets you to think money in a way. So it's one way to get you in. I have another app. I don't remember which one. That sometimes you don't know what their notification sound is until the first one, and it's like some random sound. But it was so weird that it made me not only look at my phone, but click it. So, you know, just different ways to not only get your users to stay engaged, but to also bring them back. So I think the big thing with this book that made it exciting was it fits almost anyone. You can be a designer, you can be a product manager, you can be a CEO, you can have your own startup, you can be a writer, like how you talked with being a blogger. You know, different ways that you're able to hook people and get them coming back for more. And I think that's the biggest key because you can make something great, but if you're not able to really get it out there, sometimes it's going to be under-delivered. You know, if you're really making some great content, you need to find a way to be able to get 
that out to the masses. And if you can have ways that are able to hook and keep people coming back, they're going to spread that alone and keep moving forward so that they're going to bring in more of their friends to be able to read that or listen to something or watch something. And that's going to give you that growth that you want without having to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on Facebook ads to be able to get your voice out there. So a lot of really, really good, I would say techniques to kind of get your product to the next level. So just like I said, keep it simple and work through your core product and then be able to slowly expand on that in ways that your customers really are looking for. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. Um, in regards to what I think that I mostly took out of this book, it's just concepts around psychology that allow us to really tap in with our products. So for anyone that's currently building a product or looking to create something new in, in a space and really wants to generate an opportunity for some organic growth and some, um, some real automatic viability almost, like a, a point where, where you can just kind of jump into a community and create value immediately and, and that spreads like wildfire, give this book a read. I, th I thought it was really valuable. I thought that uh, overall the book really laid out a lot of great principles for understanding what is a habit-forming product and what is not a habit-forming product. Um, so I would totally recommend this book, 100% recommend it. I don't have too much more that I can say about it other, other than like giving specific examples, right? Like it's really hard to kind of give all the, all the details and all the ideas that came out of the book. You just kind of got to read it. Um, what do you think, Ross? What other thoughts do you have on the book? I mean, like I said, my real takeaway is kind of like you said, if someone is out there right now and they're sitting in the design phase of a new app or product, I mean, we've spent, you know, hours, weeks, you know, working on product design, understanding that the user is going to see this home screen, then they click, what are they going to see next? What do we want to happen? And putting yourself in the user's shoes, I would definitely say take the few hours and read this book because it's going to help give you a few very easily... Um, very a few very easy items that you can add to your product that you're going to see massive returns on. I mean, ways just to keep the user coming back or just keeping them engaged. And a lot of it is really pulling off, like we said, simple things like email. Just little ways that get your brain to want to check. They don't feel like they have to check it. They really want to check it. And understanding that if you keep someone coming back, the more touches you have with a consumer... Not only the stronger it makes your product, but the lifetime value of that consumer goes way up because they're going to be seeing a lot of value. And then once you hit a certain level, they start to become an advocate of the product. They are going to tell other people to get on it. And a good example of that is like TikTok. TikTok is the fastest growing app, I think, of all time at this point. And it's just because if you're on there, the best thing they did was if you save a video and they have the little TikTok watermark in the actual video and the big thing with that is that when they were sharing it with their friends or even if they shared it on facebook or instagram people still knew where that content was coming from and it got more and more people to download it because people were out there sharing these videos that went viral i mean you get a video that's getting millions of views imagine a company like tiktok that just got a million free views because some user was on their app and made a funny piece of content i mean that's the dream for a company that's zero dollars in ad spend because you're having this go out. Like, when's the last time you saw an ad for TikTok? Probably never. And if you did, maybe one, because most of their advertising is users making content and generating, you know, this conversation back and forth with their friends or family. 
So I think finding ways to be able to hack the system in a way and get the user not only to have fun, but have fun sharing your product in little ways that you can do that, a lot of those can be found in this book. So if you are, like I said, a product designer, um, a CEO of an of a old startup, or you're, you're brand new in the startup game, or you're trying to make an app from scratch as a programmer, I think there's a lot of little techniques that you should take from this book and really put into your app because I think you're really going to see some massive, massive growth. But other than that, I don't really have too much else. I My closing statement, I guess you would say, is I liked it. I mean, it was short and sweet. There wasn't too much fluff. It was broken down into a few parts. All of them make perfect sense, but it just points out things that you haven't noticed that you've been doing. And I think that's the biggest part is that they've been working so well, these little cues to get us to come back into apps that while we may have noticed, we never really put into context of the overarching theme and, and cycle that these companies are putting you in to keeping you um, returning day after day. What do you think? What are your closing statements on the book? Closing statements on the book is you got to read it if you're building a product of any kind. Um, I think that this is a really huge piece. Like For anyone that wants to go be Zuckerberg and, and create a product that people come back to over and over and over and over and over and over again, there's a lot of really great tools in here. Um, so read it. Definitely worth the read. Glad I read it. Looking forward to reading it again next time I go and start a new project. Um, totally something I'll revisit. And with that being said, guys, thank you guys so much for joining us on the 38th episode of this podcast. It's incredible. We are almost done with our first full year running, guys. Thank you so much for anything and everything that you guys have supported us with uh, or provided to us uh, over the almost year that we've spent together. Uh, so just really excited to keep on bringing you guys great content with great stuff on great books. And um, yeah, anything else, Ross? That's it. I got nothing. Rock and roll. Guys, you've joined us at the 52 Podcast, 52 books, 52 weeks, making every single week count. My name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Anarelli. And we'll see you next week. Take care.